0: Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show Podcast. A special episode tonight as we look back on the one-year anniversary of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers taking home the Grey Cup title. The head coach of the Blue Bombers, Mike O'Shea, and the voice of the Bombers, Bob Irving, will look back together on the podcast. And what a party it was. One year ago, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers capturing their first Grey Cup since 1990 with a 33-12 win over the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and joining me tonight to reminisce about that day and what it meant and all that good stuff is the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving. Bob, how are you tonight?
1: I'm fine. I watched the game again this afternoon, Christian. Uh, It's about the sixth time I think I've watched it, and uh, I hadn't watched it for a couple of months. And it it was fun to watch watch again. I haven't got tired of it yet.
0: (laughs) And we're also joined by the head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers... Mike O'Shea, Mike, have you watched it a number of times, too, or has Bob watched it more than you?
2: I think Bob's watched it more than me, but I did happen to uh, take a gander at it, uh, I guess it was yesterday, with um, uh, off our website where it was narrated or, or commentated on by the players, or the players sort of sat there. Uh, Brandon Alexander and, and Andrew Harris and then Jake Thomas and Patty Newfeld sort of just talked in the background when the game was going on. So it was pretty fun to listen to them talk about it.
0: Absolutely. I I checked that out too uh, about midway through the third quarter. Uh, I should have finished it today, but I'm bad at time management. That's not the point. The point is it was very entertaining, and for those who haven't checked it out, you can go on the Bombers website or their Facebook page to get the different angle of that game. So, Mike, going into that game, you're the underdogs, you don't look at the point spread, though, right? You're going in there thinking, "I know well, we haven't beat I, Hamilton all year, but we've got we've got them. We've got the game plan to win the Grey Cup."
2: I, I'll say it again. I'm sure I said it before. I, the term "underdogs" is not something we even talk about, and I would not even had that thought uh, going in. Um, would not have looked at point spreads. Would not have looked at who's favor. Who's favor? Would not have looked at. Um, what all the prognosticators were saying. Um, It's just so foreign to me to go into a game, um, even go into the week, thinking along those lines. Um, And the fact, honestly, when you mention it now, it's interesting because it makes me think hard. And I can't even recall that entire week Thinking that Hamilton beat us twice. Um, I mean, it's it's evident, it's there, it's on the web, it's you know. Or, but that that would that thought would not even cross my mind. Hamilton beating us twice because it, it was so. It's a uh, one game, do or die playoff format in you know where anything can
0: happen. Bob, be honest. What were what was your thought heading into the game?
1: Well, I've said this a million times, Christian. That the the people who were covering the game, the media, and the former players who work in the media, who were in Calgary, virtually all of them thought that Hamilton would win and picked Hamilton to win based on their fifteen and three record and the fact that they had beaten the Bombers twice in the regular season. That's kind of what you base your prognostications on. But those of us and I was had a front row seat who had watched the Bombers come together when Zach Kolarz played that final home regular season game, and then they beat a 12-6 and Calgary team in Calgary and a 13-5 and Saskatchewan team in Regina, uh, you couldn't help but feel that they had a very good chance to win the game, even though they hadn't played very well against Hamilton during the regular season. I also sensed that the Ticats were maybe a little bit cocky and full of themselves, and they had a young quarterback named Dane Evans, who had had a terrific year, but who had not, you know, built up the experience and the resume that somebody named Zach Kolaris had built up, the moxie, the, just the whole experience factor. And so all of those things left me feeling that, hey, you know, I've watched this team, I've been around it, I know the resolve that they have, how they've come together through these playoff games. Uh, I, I thought they had a real good shot. I really did. You know, and I'll say this, and I get Mike to weigh in all he he. Tends to downplay these statistics and things like that. But the Bombers beat Saskatchewan, Calgary, and Hamilton. They outscored them 88 to 39 in that three-game playoff span. 88 to 39, Mike. Uh, those are th- three of the best teams. Well, they all had better records than you did at 11 and seven, and you beat them 88 to 39. I would hazard to say that that has never been done in Canadian football history, that kind of a run and to beat teams that good to win a championship. And I don't know if you've given that much thought, Mike, but it's pretty remarkable.
2: Uh, I haven't given it much thought. I mean, there, there are, there are reasons why it, it happened that way. You look at the, the takeaway giveaway margin. We didn't really give up a, give up the football in those three games. Um, you know, we had excellent time of possession in the games and, you know, we do have a good football team. So um, I guess that equates to that, that score differential, really. So the
1: other like, thing we, I was going uh, to ask, ahead, Mike, yeah, Christian, if it's okay. Um, I know Mike and I've talked about this many times and I'd say to him, well, you know, have you practiced well this week? Do you feel good about the game, and, you know, are you going to play like you practiced? And Mike has often said to me that, you know, he's seen teams practice well during the week and then not play so well and vice versa. But, Mike, the Friday of Great Cup week in particular, um, is it not true that your players, you could, you sense that your players were really, really focused and lasered in on the
2: game? Yeah, not just that. I think, you know, they were um, they were on the verge of, of, of working too hard that day. <laughs> and it sounds silly to say that, but they were, uh, they were flying around. And once again, I, I, I do believe that the weather played a, a part in that. Um, it was a beautiful day that day. So everybody had a, a little extra bounce in their step, but, um, yeah, it was it was something neat to say uh, to watch. I mean, Bob, you, you say it too, right? You ask me those questions, and then when we talk later, you're like, yeah, I don't – you know, when you watch practice, you say, yeah, it doesn't really matter what happens at practice. You know, it's not an indicator of what's actually going to go on in the game. You, you've said it yourself. You've watched so many practices and, and seen it happen a whole variety of ways come game time.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. I, I've never – Believe that you know a lot of coaches will say you play how you practice, and I think there's something in that, but it's not a it's not a lock. If you practice well, it doesn't mean you're going to play well, and vice versa. So no, I'm I'm with you totally on that. The other thing is your team had a flu bug all week. Mike, was there any point where you were concerned that that was going to you know hamper you in the game?
2: Not not at all. Um, I'll go back to the practice idea. I think you you play how you practice on a consistent basis. So how you practice throughout the entire year, consistently throughout the entire year, is how you're going to play. Um, So one practice here or one practice there, a really good practice or a uh, serves to raise the bar a little bit, uh, but a really bad practice doesn't mean that's going to be the outcome of a game too, right? So I think it's how you – the practice habits you have, the consistency in your practice habits – throughout the season dictate how you play in games. Um, with regards to the flu bug, you know, I, I think I, I walked into the training room a few times and saw guys curled up under blankets and with heating pads on. And, you know, every day Al just would come to me and say, oh, this guy's not going to be a practice or this guy shouldn't be at meetings. I'm going to send him this guy to bed, whatever, however it happened. It's uh, par for the course, and and those little things, um, they, they don't they don't rock the boat for me whatsoever. Um, our roster did such our guys did such a good job of of being the starter throughout the season, right? So some guy steps in and he is the starter, and sometimes at last minute notice, right? But guys did such a good job of being starters uh, that it didn't, I don't think it really it didn't weigh on me whatsoever that that there was a potential that some guys were going to play sick. I also firmly believe that you know over the course of time athletes in general, pro and Olympic athletes have had stellar performances when they've been under the weather or been injured and they just find a way, you know, they're mentally how in tune they are to the situation um, and how they, the attitude with which they approach um, what's uh, detracted from them physically, you know, that attitude serves them well and allows them to perform at an extremely high level. So I've seen it too many times. I've said it before. You see guys that are, you know, you know, pale rider coming in <laughs> to the game and they just, they, they put one out there that's phenomenal and they don't even know how they did it. And in fact, sometimes they watch the film, they don't even remember part of the game cause they're, they weren't feeling so well, but they managed to do it. So that, that didn't bother me whatsoever.
0: So the game starts with a uh, Brandon Alexander interception on the third play. There's a Adam Big Hill fumble recovery that leads to an Andrew Harris touchdown, a third and short that Hamilton doesn't get three turnovers on their first four drives mike did that really go along with your your game plan or was were those all bonuses that you're getting all these early turnovers
2: um well we we were second in the league in takeaways uh i think if you look at the last four years we have uh probably averaged 50 takeaways a season so um, as, as every football team does, they talk about the ball. They talk about taking the ball away. And, uh, I mean, the first one was, you know, goes through the receiver's hands, but BA is right there. And, and that, that tip ball is not like the ball was tipped up. It went, you know, it's sort of, um, grease lightning through his hands and BA was right there to, to pick it off. Um, but in terms of, uh, the, the sack fumbles, um, you know, one of the things I say, and I, I I say it in jest, but there's some seriousness to anything you joke around about. Obviously, is that um, you know I do think that a sack is a good stat for a high school player. Um, you know, but if you have the opportunity, if you get to the quarterback, you should be trying to take the ball away every single time. Um, when you fail to take the ball away well then you tackle the quarterback who's hanging on to the ball but your first your first job when you get to the quarterback once you beat your had your pass rush is to take the ball away so it's something we've been doing for a number of years at a very high rate so taking the ball away throughout in the playoffs um it it didn't surprise me at all
1: you know there was a there was kind of a penultimate part of that first half I felt Mike that that sort of really Uh, put you guys in charge, if you can ever be in charge in a CFL game, and you're up 15 points at the half. But after the first quarter, you're up 8-3, but Hamilton's been moving the ball pretty well. They had eight first downs in the first quarter. You you did have the three turnovers, which held them at bay. But in the second quarter, you started to shut them down on defense. And then Janarian Grant had that terrific uh, punt return, uh, a 32-yard punt return. Two plays later, Strebler throws that incredible uh, eye of the needle pass to Andrew Harris in the end zone, that puts you up 18-6. to six. And then you get a field goal uh, just before the end of the half, so you're up 21-6 at halftime. As, as things unfolded late in the second quarter, did you sense you were taking over the game, or, or do you ever feel that way?
2: Uh, not against Hamilton, really. I mean, I, I did feel like we um, were in the game and playing extremely well. Um, but they are an explosive offense. I mean, the, the Mike Jones, on Mike Jones' play, the deep ball that he knocks out of his hands is, is uh, that, that's a, a game changer there too. I mean, all the takeaways are uh, obviously also, but, um, you know, one of the things that I, I did think was, you know, we we weren't up enough to feel that comfort level Uh, maybe you never are but we weren't up enough given the number of times we'd taken the ball away right you know it would have been nice to finish those drives with touchdowns rather than than some field goals i mean i love i love medlock i love meddy but you'd like to have a couple more touchdowns to give yourself some breathing room uh, against a a very potent offense Uh, you know one of the best offenses in the league and and they're a quick strike team and their defense can take the ball away as well as anybody, also, and we did a great job protecting that that ball and then and also protecting the lead. Um, but that that's one of the things that went through my mind at probably at halftime is, you know, we we didn't probably capitalize on the takeaways like like we would have liked to. Um, but you know, you, you you look at the end. I think we finished. We took the ball away seven times. Two of the short yardage, uh, you know, third down plays where we stopped them. Um, you know, if we only take the ball away three or four times, then those drives continue, mm-hmm. right? And, and invariably, you, you would think that the, one of those or a few of those drives are going to lead to some points given given Hamilton's record and, and their offensive prowess, for sure.
0: Mike, just before we get to the second half, the, the championship game in both the NFL and the CFL, they've got the halftime shows. How much longer is it, at halftime, to wait to get back out to the second half, and is it tough to to wait that extra time?
2: Well, I think the players understand that, even though it feels like forever, they are aware that the halftime is longer. Um, I think it's in the neighborhood of about eighteen minutes longer. I think a normal halftime is twelve or fourteen, sixteen minutes, and that the the Grey Cup halftime probably was closer to thirty. Maybe a bit more, so it is a little different. They, you know, they have time to do a lot more, and and I'm sure they relax a little bit too. But uh, everybody's so uh, fired up with adrenaline, it's it's not that hard to get loose again.
1: And I want to tell Mike a little story about that halftime show, uh, Keith Urban, and I was looking forward to his performance because he's really good, and one of his big hits that uh, anybody who's a fan of his knows, is called Blue Ain't Your Color. And as the halftime show comes on, I'm thinking, ooh, you know, if he sings Blue Ain't Your Color, that's not going to be a good omen for the Blue Bombers. And sure enough, the last song he sang was Blue Ain't Your Color. And I'm thinking, oh, no, that can't be good. Uh, But, of course, it did turn out good. (laughs) Not that I'm superstitious, Mike, but uh, it just seemed like, if the Bombers were going to win the Grey Cup, Keith Urban should not be saying blue ain't your color today.
2: It's okay. I had the I, I had the anti-omen <laughs> antidote. I had the Keith Urban doll with a pin in it All right. in my locker room, so we were fine.
1: There you go. Okay, so it's third quarter. You're up 24-6. Uh, you force a fourth turnover. They're third and one, and you stop them again. And then a few plays later, they run that fake field goal. They score a touchdown. Now it's twenty-four to twelve. Did, did you have any sense that, oh, you know, this is an explosive team we're playing, and you know, we've given them a, an opening now?
2: Um, no, that that play, as a matter of fact, it, it once again it didn't um, didn't change the way I was feeling about our control of the game. Um, you know, if they had struck us with a quick hitter, I was sure we were going to be able to control the ball, control the clock and get points again. So, um, I think everybody was playing at a level that was, um, that, that made you as a coach made you feel like no matter what happens, we are going to be in a position to win this game. We're going to, we're going to put ourselves in a spot to compete, to win the game. So they are going to get some plays um you know that they run a fake field goal and and we'd looked at a lot of film and studied some things that they that they might do and they came up with one and Jesse Briggs comes across and makes a great tackle I think uh what's worse is if they run the fake and they score right off it that could be a little bit more demoralizing maybe But nobody was phased when they ran the fake they ran back out there and You know, they had a a few more plays before they scored and they they scored on a, you know, a a little screen pick play. Um, But you're not going to hold, you know, Hamilton or that kind of offense or a lot of good offenses, uh, you know, off the board the entire game. And our players know that we've we've been through enough together that they know that the other team has the opportunity to score points, too.
1: So we've talked about the Grey Cup for half an hour now, the 2019 Grey Cup, and we haven't brought up the name of Andrew Harris, who was named the top Canadian, most outstanding player, 134 yards rushing, five catches for 35 yards. And uh, Mike O'Shea, I think in a lot of ways that was a sort of a typical Andrew Harris game, the kind of game we've come to expect. But for you, uh, was his performance in that Grey Cup game, you know, a little, was there something extra? With him that
2: day, I mean that's a good question for him. Um, when I watched him, it, to me, it's it's the same Andrew Harris. I, I believe he's a gamer. I believe he's extremely tough. Uh, he's a physical back, and um, uh, I'll say this: he, he he brought everything he had with him to that game, um, and 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 laid it all out on the line for his for his teammates. And, um, it worked out, you know, he, he certainly, you know, beautiful run off that second, uh, takeaway 15 yard run, which was, you know, there was a, initially a huge hole opened up, but you know, I look at the plays and a fantastic catch on Stradler's pass, but I look at the plays where he's downhill on the safety. So he's gotten into the second level and he's eight to nine, 10 yards downfield and he lowers his shoulder pads onto the safety and buckles them a couple times. And um, those are the plays that I believe if the defense is watching, they're going back out there with, with a, a, a belly full of fire, you know, just seeing their tailback do that. They've seen it so many times. They've seen Andrew perform like that for a number of years. Um, so I don't think it was strange, but I think every time, uh, every time that Andrew were to choose to run someone over or strive for that matter, it really does help the team. And and Andrew was full marks for for those types of plays. Um, even even later in the game, just churning churning the yards out with guys draped all over him, and the old lineman getting behind him. But you know, taking on first and second contact later in the game and and you know, moving the pile and breaking some tackles. Um, that's the Andrew we've come to know and love, and, and he certainly was that uh, that and more in the biggest game of the year.
1: You know, and one of the things that struck me too, Mike, when I looked at your defensive performance and, and looked at it again, uh, Jeff Code and, you know, Willie Jefferson got the sacks and the pressure from the outside, but your guys in the middle Uh, Drake Nevis, Jake Thomas, Steve Richardson, you talk about physical play, they owned that area, didn't they?
2: Uh, They usually do, I mean, they they did that all season long, Um, we were number one against the rush, uh, against the running attack in the league, Um, So, uh, and Hamilton had the ability to run the ball, and they did have a little bit of success there too, and, and you know, I think there's been said by a number of players that they thought they were going to run the ball a little more than they did. Um, so, uh, yeah, our whole front, I thought, uh, played a great game. I, I've said it a number of times. The line of scrimmage uh, on both sides of, of our ball, the defensive front and their on our offensive line, um, just showed up and, and, and played a wonderful game and, and played the style of football. That you need to play in the playoffs in cold weather in November. Uh, they they got after it and they were they were extremely tough and extremely physical, um, and it was awesome to watch.
1: Hey, and Christian, you, you jump back in here right away because I know you've got some questions for Mike. But I just wanted to say one other thing about rewatching the game, uh, the television uh, replay. The thing that really struck me again, and I'd kind of forgotten about it, was the crowd shots they had. And there were so many uh, people wearing blue and gold. And the joy that they were experiencing, some of them were crying at different points in the game, Mike, when, I think when Harris cut that touchdown pass from Streveler, And there were other points in the game where they had the, all these crowd shots, and TV likes to do that, get the crowd shots, and they're great. And it was always... The whole area that they shot, wherever it was in the crowd, was mostly blue and gold or people cheering for the Bombers. And the joy that they were experiencing through that game, as I say, some of them in tears, boy, that really struck me.
2: Yeah, it was something to see. I, I, I mean, I've talked to a number of people that said they, were, they, they couldn't help themselves but tearing up <laughs> during the game, which was phenomenal. And, I mean, that whole stretch of time afterwards, people were still – People I were talking to were still crying about it, just overjoyed, you know. Yeah.
0: So, Mike, I, another thing about rewatching the game, and if you look at the slow mo footage, it seemed like you knew the Gatorade shower was coming, and you were not stunned by it. You, you knew it was on its way. Is that true? You were ready for the impact.
2: Well, I don't think uh, Jake Thomas, you know. Has spent a lot of time doing footwork and ballet. You know, he's not very light on his <laughs> feet. So I happened to be talking to somebody on the sidelines walking that way, and I saw two guys coming. I saw Biggie and Jake, I guess, with the gator, and I told them, ah, we're not done yet. Let's go. And then if you really listen to that exchange, if you really listen in closely, You'll hear a pretty funny exchange, uh, a quick one, but a funny exchange in there. And so when I turned around, I thought, "Oh, it's going to happen at some point." Uh, but I thought they would have listened to me and waited a little longer. <laughs> but no.
1: That's hey, and uh, Christian, I, just one other thing. I, yeah. I know Zach Calaris, again a guy we haven't talked much about in this uh, in this particular discussion with Mike, but. You know, when players come in, new players come in, sometimes they don't, don't always fit in seamlessly, especially a quarterback. But, uh, Mike, talk a little bit about how seamlessly Zach Calaris just fit into not just your offensive system, but the makeup of the team.
2: Yeah, I, I believe, um, you know, from from my time with him in Toronto, and I know it was short uh, uh, relatively and I don't coach him really. So, But I, I knew the type of guy he was, and I knew he had the ability to uh, fit in extremely well. He's that type of guy. He's, uh, his teammates, you know, generally love him, and he's, and he's there for the right reasons. He's there for his teammates. He plays the game the right way for the right reasons. So I, I really believed that, that that would be the least of our concerns, Is him coming in and fitting in. And um, I think he's a a quick study in the room. You know, he'll figure out exactly uh, where his leadership is needed right away. So he's not going to come in and overstep uh, his bounds on the first day. He's not going to come in and, you know, make some speech in front of players. He's going to come in and be a great guy and and figure out where his leadership is most needed. And um, I think another thing about Zach, uh, he won't miss an opportunity to lead. So when those opportunities presented themselves to lead, you know, he was patient, um, patiently waiting for them. And when they presented themselves, he, he took those opportunities to lead. And a lot of times with quarterbacks, leadership is about performance, right? Um, so, but him coming in and being such a good dude right off the bat, um, just made everybody, um, that put, that put everybody at ease really, because they're wondering what's going on too, right. And how this is going to all work. And I think it worked out well and, and his character and his understanding of team is a big reason for that.
0: With Blue Bombers head coach, Mike O'Shea and the voice of the Bombers, Bob Irving, Let's talk about what this win meant to this city, Mike. I know at the uh, the Gray Cup social after the win a few days later, you were there talking with fans for hours and hours and hours and just the stories you got to hear, I imagine these are this was a a week really after the game that you'll never forget.
2: Uh never. Um it was uh you know, what I what I realized is how emotionally impactful the win was. I knew it was going to be a good party. I knew people were going to be happy. You're going to be overjoyed. But historically, so many emotions wrapped up. You know, something they've been, an emotional uh, outlet, you know, that they've been sort of hanging on to for a number of years. Some of the stories you heard just, you know, that I heard just blew me away. It was, it was, I'll say this, the um, the week after like all those events, they were tiring, not from a, I didn't get enough sleep type of tiring, but emotionally it was, it was awesome. It was also tiring. You know, there's so many stories I heard, you know, and then you hear, You know, I can think about one, there was a a young woman who had seasons tickets with her grandma for years and years and years and years, you know, front row, I think, across from us. And, uh, you know, she waited in line and took her turn to come up and say that, you know, I started coming to games. I think she said when she was seven with her grandma, (laughs) it's just such a great story. And there's so many of them, um, I'm just so fortunate that people shared them with me. I mean that the bottom line is it it, it was just so uh it, it really uh didn't catch me off guard. I don't know how to describe it, but I just feel so fortunate that all these people took the time to share their personal stories and share their emotion with me too. It was it was awesome.
1: Yeah, and Christian, I knew that there'd be quite a uh, you know, an outburst and a release of emotion and a big celebration when the Bombers ended this Grey Cup drought, and then we did that two-hour post-game show after the game, and you and Greg Mackling were on the field interviewing players, and we were, Doug and I were taking phone calls. We went on for two hours, and it was amazing. It uh, and it sort of reminded me of how deep this football club runs into the the very soul and fiber of this community. Just the you know, the, the, the heartfelt feelings from the fans, you know. But they went to Portage in Maine. They called our show from all over the world. We got calls from around the globe. And then, uh, Mike, the reception at the airport, you guys come home, and you don't really know what to expect. I guess a, a lot of the players don't quite know what to expect, and there's a big crowd at the airport and then the parade. I wasn't sure you know, how many people would turn out for the parade. I knew it would be quite a few, but it blew me away. I, it just blew me away. And then the reception at the Forks and that whole sort of 48-hour period was, uh, it was really special. It really was. And I've been covering this team for a long time. And, I, you know, the 84 Great Cup, after they'd waited 22 years without a win, uh, was really over the top in terms of the way people celebrated. But this one rivaled it. It really did. And it was... Uh, it was a memory that uh, that I will hold and cherish for a long, long time. It was just a special moment for the Bombers and for all the people who worked so hard, but for the, the fans and the people in this community. You know, I, I think it made everybody feel just a little bit better about living here.
0: And, Mike, there's people within the organization, too. You think of Al Couture, you think of Brad Foddy, Wade Miller, that have been around the team for so long. They get their hands on a great cup, and I'm sure that was pretty cool, too.
2: Yeah, and that's not lost on, on our players. You, you know, if you watch that little rebroadcast yesterday, uh, Patty Newfeld and, and Jake talking about it. Um, you know, Brad's been with the team for 30 years, and now, I don't know, 15 or whatever it's been, 12 or 15. Um, I mean, these guys, they, they needed it too. <laughs> and so it was... It was so cool. I mean, it was just really neat to stand back and watch and take it all in. I think that's what, um, that's my place in it is to sit back and, and watch these guys, uh, and see their, see their emotions, see the camaraderie and the, the, the way it all unfolds is, is something to behold for sure.
1: Hey Mike, we're just about out of time. I know you like to look forward. Um, there's going to be a 2021 season. Do you expect most of the players from that great cup team? Not all, it's never all, but most of them to be back.
2: Yeah, I I do. And I will treat it like a a surprise when I find out who's not coming back. I mean, I do believe that we'll have a lot of guys. There's a lot of positive feelings about this, but it is a new season and it is pro sport and uh, it's really difficult uh, for these guys if they get good offers from other places to turn it down they can only have so much time to to, to earn a living in this sport it can end whenever you know um, so so the team's always going to change uh, but I think we'll have a great core of guys that that know what it takes to win a, a championship back for us so I can't wait let's move forward absolutely let's move forward
0: and we look ahead to that season opener when you get to take on the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the Great Cup rematch. You can put the banner up. You can hopefully have a decent number of fans. Who knows what the future will hold when it comes to COVID restrictions. But we're going to try to be optimists here. Mike O'Shea, Bob Irving, I appreciate both of your time tonight. And uh, thanks for looking back on this great one-year anniversary. Yeah, it was fun, Christian.
2: Yeah, thanks, guys. Bob, I look forward to seeing you in person soon, uh, hopefully.
0: Yes, for Sure. <laughs> All right. Mike O'Shea, sure. head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and Bob Irving, the voice of the Bombers here on 680 CJOB. Tune in to the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast, please. Subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?